Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. For this edition, we're featuring remarks made by Dr. Frank Turek during the Illinois Family Institute's 2017 Worldview Conference held at the Village Church of Barrington. Dr. Turek is an award-winning author and the president of crossexamine.org. In this segment from his conference presentation, Dr. Turek reinforces the idea that Christians should be involved in politics. But he says Christians should also pick their spots on political issues. Reason isn't the reason. So you can't always use reason and expect people to respond. Let me say something about this. We, a lot of us can get frustrated. We think we know what the truth is and we want other people to understand and accept what the truth is. But you don't actually have to convince one political or theological liberal of your viewpoint. You only need to convince the church that you're right. And if you convince the church that you're right, problem over, right? Think about all the people sitting in the pews every Sunday who are apathetic or uninterested or uninformed on these issues. So many of them are. And so concentrate on the people who already at least partially share your worldview. Don't try and push a rope by trying to get other people who are completely opposite your worldview to see it your way. I mean, you might be able to do that on occasion, but as Jesus said, you know, if they, if they reject you, dust your sandals off and go to the next town. Don't waste your valuable time on people who are so far away when you can spend time convincing those who are a lot closer to you. I'm talking about politics now. I'm not talking about, you know, evangelism. We should do evangelism with everybody. But we have to pick our spots politically. So, let's talk about this subject, can we legislate morality? First of all, should Christians be involved in politics? Yes. You guys are a bit judgmental, aren't you? I haven't even answered the question yet. Secondly, can we legislate morality? And then thirdly, what are the stakes? So let's take a look at number one. Should Christians be involved in politics? Why is there a difference between South Korea and North Korea? Don't say electricity. Okay? I get that. All right? That's part of it. But South Korea is filled with productivity. It's filled with the gospel. It's one of the more Christianized countries in the world. It's extremely productive. North Korea, on the other hand, is a concentration camp. There's one major reason for the difference between South and North Korea. What is it? Politics. The South has political freedom. The North does not. The question is, what kind of country do you want to live in? A country more like South Korea or North Korea? South Korea. If you want to live in a country more like South Korea, you better be politically active. Because if you're not, you may wind up a country like North Korea. In fact, if you think about this, politics affects just about everything. Politics affects your church, your family, your health, your money, your business, your freedom, your property, your school, your home, your security, your safety, the poor, the unborn, everyone and everything. In fact, 
the very pews you're sitting in right now, the very church you're sitting in right now, was affected by politics, building codes, zoning laws, the First Amendment to the Constitution that we have freedom of religion. All that is downstream from politics. And so if you're concerned about any of these things, you have to be involved in politics. The laws that are made in Washington, the laws that are made in Springfield, the laws that are made in your local governments here affect all of these things on occasion. Why wouldn't you be involved? Do you think only atheists are qualified to run the country? Who said? Now, with that in mind, what is the purpose of government? Why is there a government at all? Why do we need government? You go to Romans chapter 13 for a biblical view, it says this. Government is the servant of God to execute wrath on the, wrong, on the wrongdoer. Good governments protect their citizens from harm. The number one role of government is to protect innocent people from evil. In fact, James Madison put it this way. He said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. In fact, I ask people this question all the time. What do you think would happen... And, you know, you've got people protesting against police and all this. What do you think would happen if the police in this community said, tomorrow for 24 hours, there will be no police enforcement? You can do whatever you want and you will never be prosecuted for it. Do you think that BMW dealer would survive right over here? Do you think Best Buy would still be in existence? How many people would be murdered, raped, robbed? What do you think would happen? We had rampant freedom back in the 70s in New York City when we had a blackout. Anybody want anarchy? Take away law enforcement, that's what you'll have. You need law enforcement. You need a government. Also, one of the problems that Christians have is we tend to confuse salvation with safety. What do I mean by that? Christians don't think they ought to be involved in politics because they just think, well, it's all about grace, right? I mean... That's, we're saved by grace. There's no works we can do. We don't need the law. The law just teaches us we need a savior. Paul says the law is our schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. And so they tend to downplay politics. Here's the problem. We are saved by grace but kept safe by law. In other words, yes, grace will get you safely to heaven but the law gets you safely home. Imagine if we didn't have laws or no law enforcement. You probably wouldn't make it to the end of the day. So don't confuse eternal salvation with temporal security or with temporal safety. You need both. You wouldn't even be able to have a church if we had anarchy in this country. You probably wouldn't be able to preach the gospel either. Do you know that laws impact our ability to even preach the gospel? We take it for granted in this country. We go, oh, sure, you can preach the gospel. Oh, yeah, you know why? Because we have a First Amendment. Well, what happens if they start ignoring the First Amendment, which they're doing right now? It's not just preach the gospel, it's live it out. Eternal salvation with temporal security. You need both. And the law will help you get temporal security. How about Jesus versus the politicians? Remember we talked earlier about Jesus going after the uh, scribes and Pharisees? Notice what he says in Matthew 23 when he's going after him. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, 
and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, these are lawmakers again, don't major in the minors. You're tithing your spices, but you're not concerned with justice. What are we doing in this country? We're telling people what light bulbs to use, but we're saying, we're going to pay for you to kill your children. What do you think Jesus would say to us today? You're neglecting the weightier, weightier matters of the law. Why are you neglecting the weightier matters? By the way, people say all sin is the same. That's nonsense. All sin is not the same. All sin separates you from God, but all sin is not the same. If it was, Jesus wouldn't even have said this, right? When he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does that imply? There are lesser commandments. Yes, all sin separates you from God, but not all sin is equally severe. And not all political issues are equally important. Don't major in the minors. Stay on the big issues. Life, marriage, religious freedom. Stay on those big issues. So, should Christians be involved in politics? The answer is... Yes, of course. In fact, if you want to be fair, what you ought to say is everybody ought to be involved in politics, right? Every person that cares about his or her fellow man should be involved in politics. Because when we're involved in politics, what we think we're for is good for everybody. This isn't just our personal view that this is my view and I want this imposed. We think this view is best for everybody. More of Dr. Frank Turek's remarks from the 2017 Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference after this. Well, Chinese social media has their scapegoat for COVID for the Colson Center. I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Third century Christian apologist Tertullian once wrote, If the Tiber floods the city, if the Nile refuses to rise, at once the cry is raised, Christians to the lions. Well, it's 1,800 years later, and Asian news reports that strange and anonymous messages on Chinese social media are blaming Christian gatherings and activities for a recent Christmas time spike in COVID cases in the Hebe province. Except, due to government restrictions, there were no religious gatherings or activities over the holidays. This artfully constructed fake news is intended to justify further restrictions on Christians. Local Christians deny the reports, but the damage has already been done. Like the saying goes, a lie travels halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. This is especially true when, again, to quote Tertullian, what matters to our enemies is not our actual guilt, but simply the confession of the Christian name. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this segment, Dr. Frank Turek says you can, in fact, legislate morality. Now, can we legislate morality? You always hear you can't. It's a fallacy that you can't legislate morality. In fact, Chesterton, he said this, fallacies do not cease being fallacies when they become fashions. Fallacies do not cease being fallacies when they become fashions. There's a lot of fashionable slogans out there that are fallacial. They're fallacies. They don't become true because they're fashionable. They're still fallacies. What are some of the fallacies? Well, one of them is the separation of church and state. But the separation of church and state is not the issue. Even if the separation of state, uh, church and state were true, which it isn't, 
it would not prohibit us from legislating morality. We have a book out there called Legislating Morality. We get all into details of where that whole thing came from. It's not even worth going into because it's what we call a red herring. It has nothing to do with the issue. The left will try and say it does. They'll try and say you're trying to set up a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> They'll try and say we're setting up a theocracy. The issue is not religion but morality. We are telling people how you ought to treat one another. And that's legislating morality. That's what all laws do. All laws legislate morality. The only question is whose morality? In fact, what does the First Amendment to the United States Constitution say? Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then it goes on to talk about press, assembly, speech, all those things, association, right? Notice the First Amendment does not say this. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of morality. How could it? That would be an establishment of morality right there, right? It'd be self-defeating. So religion has to do with our duty to God, but morality has to do with our duty to one another. Again, nobody's telling you what religion you have to believe in or follow when you pass a law. What we're telling you is how you ought to treat your fellow man. And that's what everybody's trying to do. All laws legislate morality. All laws declare one behavior's right and the opposite behavior's wrong. That's what all laws do. You say, well, Frank, you can't legislate the Bible. Think about that for just a minute. What's in the Bible? Thou shall not murder, thou shall not steal. Gee, we can't legislate that? Man, we were doing so good until we said, we found this in the Bible, and since it's in the Bible, we can't legislate it. Does that make any sense? No. You don't need the Bible to know you ought not murder or steal. But because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you can't legislate it. In fact, if we couldn't have laws consistent with moral principles in the Bible, then we couldn't have any laws against murder, rape, and theft. In fact, if you think about our laws, the good ones, they're all somehow a derivative of one of the Ten Commandments. They are. Now, you don't need to know the Ten Commandments because you already know it's wrong to murder, steal, and all that. But if you, if you couldn't legislate principles that were consistent with the Bible, we couldn't have any laws virtually that would be of any use. We couldn't have laws against murder, rape, or theft. Now, some people will say, yeah, but Frank, you can't make people be good. Actually, that's not the purpose of most laws. The purpose of most laws isn't to force you to be good. The purpose of most laws is to prevent you from being evil. That's the purpose of laws. Martin Luther King famously said, how did he put it? The law might not cause a man to love me, but the law can prevent him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important. <laughs> now, tragically, even the law didn't protect him, but you get the idea. Most laws aren't trying to make you be good. They're trying to prevent you from doing evil. Although there are some laws that do positively cause you to do things like, say, wear seatbelts or pay taxes or educate your children. Those are laws that are there that we've decided are, are important enough that we want you to actually do something rather than not do something. But most laws out there are to prevent you from doing evil. So, again, if people bring up the separation of church and state, say that's not the issue. We're not talking about religion. We are talking about morality. And if they say, well, none of your religious principles can be legislated, then we can't have any laws. <laughs>
because all our laws are some way related, at least derivative from the Ten Commandments. Notice that morality is legislated on abortion, same-sex marriage, no-fault divorce, about everything. What moral principle are pro-lifers trying to legislate on abortion? Pro-lifers are trying to say that a baby has a moral right to live. Pro-abortion people are trying to say a woman has a moral right to choose. Notice they're both moral positions. Now, when these two come into conflict, which one needs to give way to the other? Obviously, it's much more severe to take somebody's life than just to prevent their liberty. So, where life and liberty come into conflict, liberty must give way to life. Yes, I have the right to control my own body, but not if I kill you in the process. There's a conflict there between two different rights. And obviously, the right to life takes precedence over the right to so-called liberty. It was Ronald Reagan who famously said, I've noticed all those in, famous, or in favor of abortion are already born. <laughs> you notice that? My friend Mike Adams was in a debate with the former head of the ACLU on abortion. And uh, they, he was pointing out the fact that a unborn child is a living human being. And she tried to say... No, it's, uh, it's a developing human being. And he just looked at her and said, dead things don't grow. They don't, right? Dead things don't grow. Dead things don't grow. There's a human being in there. Genetically, it's, this, it's a human being. Let's go back to when your mother and your father got together to conceive you. Have you guys had this talk before? <laughs> I see some young people in here, so I'll try and be discreet. I also see some older people in here, so I'll try and be discreet as well, just in case you've forgotten how this works. <laughs> okay? When your mother and your father got together, your mother unconsciously perfumed her egg. And then your father sent the entire population of the United States... 300 million soldiers toward your mother's egg. And then there was a race. And you won. <laughs> Don't let anyone ever tell you you're not special. You beat out 300 million others. Now, seeing some of you limp in here earlier makes it hard for me to believe you were the fastest soldier in the gene pool. <laughs> but you were. And your soldier was 20 to 30 times smaller than a grain of salt. Yet it contains half of the 3.5 billion letter genetic code, your genome, that makes you you. And your mother's egg was about the size of a period at the end of a sentence in an average book. And it contained the other half of the genetic information that makes you you. And when your soldier and your egg came together, a new 100% genetic human being was created. You have not received any more genetic information from this point till right now. In fact, there were only four things separating you from adulthood. Time, air, water, and food. Those are the same four things that separated two-year-olds from adulthood. Does this have implications on the abortion issue? Yeah, I think it does. We don't kill the two-year-old. Why do we kill the unborn child in the womb? Genetically, it's the same. 
It's the same thing, just in an earlier stage of development. You say you can't legislate morality or you can't impose your views on others, right? They'll say that. If someone ever says, you shouldn't impose your moral views on others, what should you say to them? You, should, you could say this. You could say, hey, is that your moral view? <laughs> so why are you imposing that on me? You see, they're imposing their moral view on you that you ought not to impose your moral view on them. This is a self-defeating proposition. And the one thing you got to get good at when you're having public dialogue is to identify self-defeating statements. What are self-defeating statements? Someone says there is no truth. You're going to say what? Is that true? Is it true there's no truth? Somebody says all truth is relative. You're going to say, is that a relative truth? Somebody says there are no absolutes. What are you going to say? Yeah, are you absolutely sure? Somebody says you can't know anything. What are you going to say? Then how do you know that? Somebody says you should doubt everything. What are you going to say? Should I doubt that? Why are skeptics skeptical of everything but skepticism? You ever notice that? Somebody says you ought not judge, you're going to say. Is that a judgment? Somebody says all truth depends on your perspective. What are you going to say? Does that truth depend on your perspective? You get the idea. <laughs> but you're just pointing out it can't be true. It's, it's like saying I can't speak a word in English. That's what this is. I can't speak a word. It's like saying my parents had no kids that lived. These are self-defeating statements. You've got to get good, and what you do is you apply the claim to itself. Now, you might ask the question, by what standard is something right or wrong? So let's just skip ahead to Jefferson, who said this. We hold these truths to be? We already know right and wrong because it comes from the Creator. Now, if somebody says, don't impose your morals on me, you can say, why are you imposing your morals on me then? But a better answer is this. These aren't my morals. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't make up the fact that murder is wrong, that rape is wrong, that theft is wrong, that abortion is wrong, that men were made for women and women were made for men. And the only way to perpetuate and stabilize society consistently is to favor a relationship between a man and a woman, a sexual relationship above all else. I, I didn't make any of this up. This isn't my morality. I don't want to impose my morals, and you ought not impose your morals. We ought to impose the morals. The morals Jefferson said were self-evident, and we all know that. We all know what they are, but we suppress the truth because we want to go our own way, because we have a new religion, the religion of us. The compass always points to me, the religion of sex. I want to do what I want to do. Don't get in my way. That's what this is about. This isn't about reason. They're not interested in reason. But the people who already partly share your worldview might be. So concentrate on them. Now, what are the stakes? Well, the law is a great teacher. Many people think whatever is legal is moral and whatever is illegal is immoral. You can't give up on the law. Now people, I mean this happened with abortion, when abortion was illegally made the law of the land by the United States Supreme Court, we had just about every state saying abortion was illegal. 
Why? We, well, we had a consensus. Now, after 40-something years of this, the country's about evenly split. Why? What changed? The law changed. At least ostensibly it did. And so now people think, well, abortion must be legal, it must be okay. So that's the problem. Same thing with same-sex marriage. Now you're having people say, well, it's settled law. It's got to be okay. You have to accept it. No. And by the way, if you don't think any of these things will ever change, this is going to sound a little weird, but it's not your job to ensure the law changes. It's your job to be faithful, to do what's right regardless of whether or not you think you're going to be successful. That's the point. You just keep doing what's right and leave the results to God. You try and make it happen, but if it doesn't happen, you just keep going. Who you become going through all this is more important than what you achieve anyway. So you just keep doing what you're doing and leave the results to God. So what's at stake? Your children and grandchildren are at stake. Your freedoms are at stake, including the gospel, and lives are at stake. So if we don't protect life, who's going to protect it? If we don't protect marriage, who's going to protect it? If we don't protect children, who's going to protect it? If we don't protect religious freedom, who's going to protect it? Nobody is. So we need to do it. Dr. Frank Turek, award-winning author and president of crossexamine.org. His remarks from the 2017 Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference. Please support the work of IFI. All donations are tax deductible. To give, go to IllinoisFamily.org or call 708-781-9328. That's IllinoisFamily.org or call 708-781-9328. And please tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize. 